beautiful. Welcome to Sell Like a Woman, the podcast. The place to be to learn how to get anything you want, whether it's more money, more customers, or even to get your kiddo to go to bed on time or your spouse to help with the laundry. I'm your host, Kendrick Shope, and welcome to Sell Like a Woman, the podcast. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the Kendrick Shope Show. Hold up, hold up. Facebook's doing something weird. I'm sure everybody is not surprised by that. We are here for Boss Lady Monday, and it doesn't, there we go. Now we, I can see that we are officially live, Heather. Boss nice. Lady Monday, where we have a total boss lady here who we are going to talk about all things success, all things growing of their business. And you're in for a treat today, just like most Boss Lady Mondays, because we have Heather Christie with us. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Kendrick. It's great to be here with you. And I love being a boss lady on a Monday. I know, right? It's just a great way to kick off, kick off, kick off the week here. Absolutely. So Heather uh, has a really interesting story that we are going to dive into, but what I want you to know about Heather is she is a first-class, grade A, world-renowned speaker, as well as has a fabulous motivating story, also a coach and a former attorney, right, Heather? Yeah, I'm a recovering attorney, yes. A recovering attorney, so we want to dive into that. So if you have interest in learning how you can take uh, your corporate heels and turn them in for a cuter pair of corporate heels, or maybe uh, just a completely different job. Heather has done it, and I always like to go to the source to find out how you can do it as well. So stick around with us because it's going to be a fun, fun day. So Heather, first of all, tell us where you're located right now. I'm in Naples, Florida. So I'm so sorry for all of you who are not here right now and dealing with cold weather, but um, we did we did move from Chicago on purpose to be able to put ourselves in this beautiful, beautiful weather. I love it. And how long have you been there? We've been here for just over 12 years. Okay. All right. So tell everybody a little bit about your previous location, your previous life, your old life in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for three years, by the way. What part did you live in? Oh, good. We were right in the city. We were in the last stop was Old Town, but we spent most of our time in River North. Okay. Yeah. 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 How about you? Um, we lived in the suburbs. We had a child, so we lived in the suburbs. Um, but part of my pharmaceutical sales territory came up um, around the loop. So it was such a fun time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good. And I love going back to visit. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, yes, me too. So tell us, you were in Chicago. You t t give, give, give us sort of the, the story that I'm sure you've told a million times, but tell us. Sure. How, tell us your sure. story. Um, okay, so when I was in Chicago, I was a practicing attorney. And in my world, I started off for what I consider to be a nanosecond in the technology law world. And when I first got that big break into my, in my legal career, I decided to specialize and I joined one of the premier technology law groups in the country and found out very, very quickly that it was not a good fit for me. I didn't really understand why, but um, it, was, it was what I consider to be my boot camp, right? So I was working ridiculous hours, seven days a week, uh, 12 to 15 hours a day. I mean, literally I had to request time off on nights and weekends if I wanted, if I had something else to do. So it was, it was hardcore. Um, and it was not a great fit because I was really stuck behind a computer screen and I was drafting documents, redlining on the fly. If you have any idea what that is, if you don't, you're better off not knowing. So it was just 
this um, this position for me that was a highly technical, highly analytical. Um, I really didn't have those bones in my body, so it required a ton of adaptation from me, and it was exhausting. It was really exhausting. Um, the great news is my partners left the firm and went to another firm, and I stayed, and I worked my way into legislative and regulatory law, which is a really fancy way for saying I became a lobbyist. And so my career turned into the what I consider to be, for me anyway, the most fabulous legal career I ever could have asked for because I was flying around the world, working for a Fortune 40 company, um, really helping to design and strategize their external legislative affairs globally. And I was working with some of the most influential people, arguably, in this world, between the lobbyists that I worked with and the senators and congressmen and um, you know, public officials all over the world, Washington, DC, state capitals, European Union. So it was phenomenal. And you would, so then you're thinking like, okay, so why would you ever leave that? (laughs) (laughs) I know. And I think, you know, my friends at the time were probably just completely stunned that I would do something as crazy as my husband and I did, which was um, shortly after I made partner, I just had this itch, this burning desire to be an entrepreneur and to, to do it for myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it really was, and I and I don't know how many of your listeners, most of them, you said are entrepreneurs, right? I would say a hundred percent. Okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So, ladies, you know exactly that itch that I'm talking about, and I don't know if it was because I was just a terrible employee and didn't didn't do well working for others, but um, my husband was a critical support for me in just helping me to believe that I could leave this amazing career and go start something from scratch and be successful. You know, what's fascinating about that is a lot of people, I mean, I've worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have, who have found their way to entrepreneurship, but oftentimes they're in a job that they don't like. And so they're looking for more. And so I can't think of one person that I have ever spoken to or interviewed that said, my job was amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, now, now don't get me wrong. I loved my pharma job. It was fantastic. But there came a point when I was really clear I was done. Mm-hmm. So you reach that done point or it just was, I've got this itch. I've got to scratch it kind of thing. Okay. It's a really great question. Yes. I reached that done point okay. probably several times over. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was a combination of my leadership, which was kind of all over the place, high highs and low lows from my immediate boss, who was our department head. So that sort of inconsistency was very difficult to work with. Okay. So there, okay. Was, there was definitely that, that human element that was a challenge for me. But let me say in large part, because I was not developed enough at the time to really understand how to manage that. So I, I, I look back at it now. I, I certainly can't blame that all on another individual. I, I, take, I take a lot of responsibility there. But the other thing was there was a project that was a major global project that we ran so successfully that we actually made the issue go away. And so my role changed very much from being this global you know, legislative and regular, regulatory attorney traveling all over the world to spending a lot more time in Chicago politics and Illinois. I got to stop Chicago (laughs) politics. So for those of y'all, I have nothing to do with politics except 
I love, I'm one of those freaks who likes politics, but the word Chicago politics is like, I mean, the Mac Daddy stage. You think it's DC, New York City, Chicago politics has this long history that dates back to like movie style gangster stuff that you just can't believe. It's so fascinating. I'm sorry, but. Yeah, no, you're right. You don't know about that. I mean, that's, that's the real deal. I mean, some people even credit Chicago politics with the reason John F. Kennedy was ever elected president of the United States. It's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. And I've got stories that you just wouldn't even believe. And we'll do those offline sometime. Okay, I would love to. I'm flying <laughs> to Chicago. We'll have drinks. I would love to. Perfect. Love it's to a date. Like it's okay, a great. So let me, I'm going to ask a really, um, a really, a question I didn't expect to ask. Okay, but do it. You say the word lobbyist. And for a lot of people, myself included, by the way, um, we hear the word lobbyist, and I heard the word lobbyist a lot in the pharma industry, so I am familiar with what that means, but we hear the word lobbyist on mainstream media, and they don't make it sound like a, a fun thing or a nice thing or a good thing. So for anybody listening who's like, what the hell is a lobbyist, tell people what that means. Okay, I will. And you know, let me just share a funny story about this. My best friend, Kelly, from high school, when I first started lobbying, she, she literally, she, she looks at me and she goes, so are you one of those people who carries a sign around and pickets? <laughs> this it. is seriously what she thought I was doing. And that's so not lobbying. No, um, okay. So, so the reality of lobbying is it is so, so necessary in government because there's no possible way that our elected officials could learn what needs to be learned about any given issue. They're getting issues thrown at them, legislation thrown at them constantly. And the legislation could appear to be a really good piece of legislation. So as an example, I was, I was fighting a battle against legislation that seemed to be for the public good, but it was, it, the impacts would have been devastating to our public health. So my role truly was to build relationships with the people who made those laws and to educate them. Truly, it's an educational position. Educate them on what this legislation really means and what is the impact if they were to pass this legislation. And right. so what's really cool about this position and the thing that I, you know, I loved this strategy. You go into any given state capital and you've got to figure out who the leadership is and, and who, who are the power brokers and who are the associations that you want to create a coalition. So there's this, this massive strategy, which by the way, is phenomenal for entrepreneurs. I'm like, getting ready to, I'm, I'm going to transition. Okay, remind me yeah. to come back yeah. there. Yeah. How I built my business. Okay, so there's the strategy component, but then the other thing is, at any given point, I was in front of whatever public official who I had never met before, and I had moments to figure out who I needed to be to speak to them in a way that they wanted to hear. Does yeah. that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. So, yeah. you know, what, yeah, what, so the theory that I call, I call it dynamic adaptation, right? And, and I've actually like used that in my career to help people be successful in business is just that, that awareness that people don't always want to be communicated to in the same way, that we're all different. And how to identify that and how to adapt your style for the highest level of rapport, um, level of trust, level of connection. And ultimately that translates to influence. Yeah, it's so interesting because I mean, lobbyist and what you did is, 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 is I hear so many similarities in the way that 
on a, on a smaller scale, but in the way we used to pre, uh, approach physicians. Some physicians like to be sold to a certain way and spoken to a certain way, and you had nanoseconds to figure it out. And other people were the expert and wanted to be treated as the expert. And, you know, you adapted your person, personality may not be the right, your presentation uh, to meet their needs. And it's interesting because that has carried over into what I teach. So people hire me to teach them how to sell more. And I have a color email strategy. So it's it, and, and, and the red, blue, green, yellow, and every color speaks to a different personality type. So Perfect. it's a, communication is communication, right? Yeah. yeah. You and I are so aligned on that. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about exactly where you were going to go. So okay. one of the hardest parts, I think, uh, or I hear people say that they struggle with is great, Kendrick. So I know how to sell once I get in front of people, right? We, we, we've checked the box, your, 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 your sales tactics work, whatever, but it's getting in front of those people. It's the prospecting and engagement, which I say are the first two steps of selling. That's the hard part. And that's sort of what you talked about a little bit with entrepreneurship, right? You had to go, you had to figure out who the decision makers were, you had to make the relationships. So talk to us about that as it applies to entrepreneurship and what you recommend in, in helping others do that well. Absolutely. So when I first moved from Chicago down to Southwest Florida, I went from a position where I could get a meeting with literally anybody, right? Anybody in the world to a position where now I'm brand new, new community, nobody knows me from anybody. I had to eat the biggest slice of humble pie because I couldn't even get the local sign shop to want to sit down with me. So, I mean, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is completely different, unique, that I had to start literally from scratch. I knew two people in Southwest Florida when we first moved down here. They were my grandmother and my grandfather, and they were not in need of business coaching. And so <laughs> I had nobody, right? I didn't even have the base to start. So what did I do? I literally took my lobbying strategy and everything I had learned, and when we launched this company, the very first thing that we did was we put on workshops to educate people about our services. So we had to fill those workshops, right? And that was the single biggest challenge. How do I, brand new in a town nobody knows me, get people's butts in seats in those workshops? And what we started with was this super expensive mailer with a telemarketing follow-up. So we poured all kinds of money into this whole marketing campaign and we tested and measured it. And it was really easy to test and measure because we got an phone call. <laughs> we got one. So from investing all of this money, doing a mailer and print costs and mailing it out and everything, we got one phone call. And when the guy called in, my VOIP, my new technology phone system didn't work. So he couldn't hear me, but I could hear him on the oh. other end. And I'm answering my phone, hello, hello. And literally all you could hear is, hello? Is anyone there? Oh, and he no. goes, what kind of freaking Mickey Mouse operation is this? And he goes, <laughs> I was, oh my gosh, yeah. devastated, right? Yeah. So I decided, okay, I've, what I've got to do is I've got to go back to what I know and I've got to get out there and network. I've got to get out there and I've got to invite people and get them into these seats. So yeah. I literally just hit the town like a house on fire and I just started talking to people and inviting them and just handing them a ticket. You're, you got to come, you got to come. And it was the interaction, the personal interaction, and just creating through dynamic adaptation, I might add, right? So what you said, the red, yellow, blue, green, 
I would determine in just a short time who the audience was and how they needed me to interact with them so that I could speak to them at, at their level, what they needed. And it was using those skills to get them to come to my session. And of course, once I started getting people to my session, then the word would spread from there and people yep. So that's, that's really what I did. So when you say you went out in the community and this is what I call, um, uh, kissing babies. So, uh, you know, it's like, it's why you see during, during, um, you know, elections, you see politicians eating in places they would never be caught dead. Right. I mean, eating fried food and pie and all that stuff and, and shaking hands and kissing babies and, and, and it, you have to get out among your customers, period. If you're not out among your customers, they don't know who you are. But did you literally like go to Target and start talking to people? No. Where did you go? Okay. So I went to every business event that existed. Okay. There you went. And let me throw in something that is maybe for some a unique way of thinking. I, I immediately connected with the biggest chamber in town because our services at that time were very entrepreneurial, small business focused, as opposed to now we're, we're a little bit on the bigger side. But um, so I went into the leadership of the chamber and I sat down and had a meeting and I asked who's who, who are the leaders here? Who do I need to know? And I requested introductions. Those introductions were made. I then followed up with those people, set up a coffee, set up a lunch. Then when I went to lunch with the power brokers, I said, who do I need to know and who can you connect me with and how can I be of service here? I asked what um, charitable organizations currently were in need of board members and that I was looking for an organization that fit me because that's really important. It had to be an organization that I had some sort of passion or connection with, right? And so what I did almost immediately is I got myself in a leadership position on one of the biggest charitable boards in the community. The entire who's who was on that board of directors. And within one year's time, I was in the leadership on the board of the chamber. And within three years time, I was the president of that chamber. So what I did is I just, I worked it exactly like a lobbyist would in that I found out who, who has the connections here, who has the credibility, who has the influence and I connected with them. And in most cases, I got along with them really well immediately. There were one or two that I didn't quite connect with or see eye to eye from a values perspective. I didn't follow up on those relationships. Mm -hmm. So I really was seeking people who I respected, who I admired, and then really tapping into how can I be of service to you so that I can ultimately connect with your network. I love it. It's that, that what I, and I love how step-by-step step that is. Uh, I had a, I, I worked with a lady one time who she was a Mayo trained um, health coach and she helped people stop smoking. And she, she left her, she worked for an insurance company. She left her job and wanted to take it, you know, to, to out to anyone, anywhere. And I said, you need to go start speaking, go to the chamber of commerce, go to like, get out and start speaking about this and people will come to you. I mean, yes. you just have to get the word out. And so I love how step-by-step-by-step by step by step this is. You all, for all of our listeners who are listening or watching, you should come back to this and, 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 and write down exactly what Heather did because all the time you say, how do I get in front of people? Or mm -hmm. I go to networking events and I don't know what to do. Heather's just laid out a step-by-step -step plan for you. So do that. You want to get in front of more people. You want to start from a local base and expand to be known internationally as Heather did not once but twice in a lobbying career and now, and now with her own personal business, this is the way to do it. So Heather, tell us a little bit about 
Uh, let's let, we're going to jump way forward and then I, my hunches will come back, but tell us about what you do now. So you started, you said with small businesses, right now it's grown into a much bigger coaching relationship. Who do you work with? What do you help them with? Okay. Um, I'm going to share that with you in one second, but I would, I really want to give one other point because sure. you said people should come back and they should listen for that step-by-step. Step. And I think there's something really important to share before I move on. And that is, um, if, if you are someone who's really, really good at networking and you do well with large groups of people, networking should be one of the primary strategies that you use to you know, get to know other people and to be known. If you are someone who hates networking and you're more reserved and it stresses you out to think about networking, please don't use that as your primary strategy. Instead, go for your strengths. If you're much better at one-on-ones, consider doing what I did with the chamber, find out and get one-on-one -on -one meetings set up. So one of the things I always encourage people to do is tap into your strengths. If you're a great public speaker, get out there and get on stage. I was not a great public speaker, but I studied and studied and studied and I got at every stage I possibly could. So, so it's kind of like use whatever your gifts are, whatever your talents are and build your strategy around that. Don't necessarily use exactly my strategy if it's not yours. So I just wanted to, yeah, to go back. Absolutely. And absolutely. And for those of you all who are listening, that's similar to what we talk about when we talk about mini sessions, the one-to-one -one interaction, as opposed to, uh, the, the uh, kissing babies, <laughs> the kissing babies plan, both work. It's a question of what you want to do right. uh, and, and, and what is authentic to you would never encourage anyone to do anything that feels inauthentic because it's not going to work. If you're engaging in an activity that feels icky, sleazy, slimy, gross, why would you do it? I mean, do it. we've got better things to do. We're smarter than that. Right. That's right. That's so right. Thank you very much for that. Heather. Okay. So, um, you said so much. I wanted to touch on just right there as well, but tell us a little bit about what you do now. Okay. Well, so when I, when we first came to Southwest Florida, we actually stopped for six months in Europe for what I call our hiatus, right? Okay. Because we were going so hard for so long, we needed that break. And it was part of the condition under which we were going to move to our vacation place. Um, and thank God we did, because for any of you who are either still tied to that full-time position and not fully entrepreneurial, um, or just still thinking about making it out there, um, you, you may need just take yeah. a little bit of time for you, right? Regroup, reset. So we, when we got to Southwest Florida, we didn't even know what we were going to do. We literally didn't know. And my husband sat down with me one day and he goes, Heather, we need to make a business plan. And I said, okay, but I don't know what we want to do. <laughs> and, we're, and we're literally sitting by the pool as we're having this conversation. I had just studied for, taken and passed the Florida bar, which was, oh my gosh, just a feat in yeah. itself. And then put that in my back pocket, hoping to never use it. But he said, we need a business plan. And we literally got an argument over it because I said, how could you write a business plan if you don't even know what you want to do? So what our plan became was we just researched every business out there, startups, existing businesses for sale franchises. We ultimately landed in a franchise, which was a global business coaching franchise. And what a blessing that was because it literally taught me the business of business. You know, as a lawyer working with Fortune 100 companies, I thought I knew something about business, but the reality yes. is coming from corporate, you don't know how to be an entrepreneur until you're an entrepreneur, right? You don't. You know, I tell people that all the time. I got selling. Selling was my thing, but oh, there's yeah. so much more that comes before and after the sale that I learned. I, I, I joke, I got a $100,000 uh, online business education really quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so we did the same, and, and it was really great because the training that we got from the franchise 
was really understanding the business of business. And oh my gosh, it's, it is hard for me to believe that anybody goes into business without understanding some of these key fundamentals that no one would otherwise know. Yep. Imagine the e-myth by Michael Gerber on steroids, like all these different components of a business. So anyway, it was the best education that we ever could have asked for. And we immediately came out and month one on the ground brought in four clients that we were coaching one-on-one. So the reality was, as much as we got that theoretical information from training from our franchise, it wasn't until we started coaching businesses and running the business on our own that we got that real life experience and the bumps and bruises to prove it, right? So we have been so fortunate to work with just about any industry you can imagine, whether it's one-on-one or in group, we worked across the board, all these industries, and as a coach being so inquisitive, learned so much just across the board and how many industries, as much as every single client will say, oh, but our business is a little bit different. The reality is we all have these fundamentals that cross every single business. And so we we really got to, you know, gain expertise in some of those generalized principles. And so what we did is we leveraged that and I sort of started working my way back into the space of leadership and executive coaching. And I would say our primary audience right now is we work with leadership teams. So we tend to work with CEOs and senior leaders and help them get alignment together so that they, you know, every single client we have has some major growth initiative, right? We're all in fast paced growth companies. Um, But what we've, what we've recently added that has just been tremendous is um, so it, an online blended leadership community so that we're working with even the, the manager level. And those are high potentials who are really in need of that growth because senior leaders are just so busy right now that they don't always have the time to develop their next generation of leaders. I love it. I love it. There's such a need for that. You know, I spent, um, gosh, I, I don't know. I'm going to date myself, but 15, maybe, maybe a little bit longer that years in corporate America and worked for um, three Fortune 500 companies, had wonderful experience. But I, I, they, I, I think that, you know, at that time, at least the companies I worked for, which were pretty progressive, they were just getting around to the idea of coaches and having coaches come in and executive coaches. And I thought they're onto something great here. Like it's already a great company, but to have somebody come in and work, you know, from the top down is, is a, is a Great, great idea. So you touched on something that we we must explore. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time, but we have to explore this. (laughs) Perfect. Let's do it. So you talked about um, speaking. When you want, when you want to, you got on, you did, you said you weren't comfortable. I'm probably butchering what you said a little bit, but taking liberties, but not super comfortable originally public speaking or wasn't necessarily your jam. Got on every stage you could. Now you're a world known, I mean, like you go to your website and you are a speaker, a professional speaker. So tell me, how did you get on every stage? Not emotionally, but what are the steps you took to get on stages when you weren't a speaker? Okay. I'm going to tell you the first and most important step for me because um, you, you sort of downplayed my absolute fear of public speaking. Really? Oh my God. I, I wanted nothing to do with being in front of a room of 10 or more people. Could not just wow. literally sweaty palm, sick stomach. Got it. Thought I was going to die. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't know 
where that came from because I was otherwise very outgoing. Yeah. I had no yeah. trouble talking to anybody, but public speaking for me was just a no-go. And in fact, I almost didn't do this business because I learned that public speaking was one of the ways of developing business. So what did I do? First and foremost, I had to retrain my brain to yeah. believe, like as my belief system was that public speaking was horrible, awful, terrible, never want to do it. Um, so what I did is I started off with an affirmation. And for those of you who have never heard of affirmations, it, 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 it's what you fill in the blank after the two most powerful words in the English language, I am. So I am fill in the bank, blank. My old answer was I am scared to death of public speaking. I had to shift that thinking and create a new belief system because that's all it was, was a belief system. So I shifted it to say, I am a powerful and passionate public speaker. And I repeated that multiple times a day for, I don't even know how many months it could have, it could have even been years, but it yeah. was definitely a lot of months. And when I first started saying it, I, and I would say it out loud, by the way, which was ridiculous, but I would say it out loud. I am a powerful and passionate public speaker. And I tried to generate emotion as I said it. And what would happen is my little voice in my head would go, no, you're not. And so yes. like anyone who's wondering what that, head? Yes. Yeah. Yes. anyone who's wondering what that little voice in your head is, that's the one, that's the yes. one I'm talking about. Yes. So no, you're not. And, and it was brutal because I just had to keep repeating and repeating and repeating all the while feeling like I was telling myself a lie. What I was really doing is just reshaping my belief system because what you repeat to yourself enough will ultimately sink into your subconscious mind and our subconscious mind rules our world. So there came a time where I said out loud, I'm a powerful and passionate public speaker and I didn't get any feedback. So like I finally quieted that voice of doubt and it was only through, and this is the most important point. Yes, you need to do that, but you can't just do that. All the while I was getting on stage every time I could. How did I do it? I asked, I asked everybody, oh, you're in an industry association. Who do you have doing your monthly luncheons? Do you need a speaker? I just happened to speak and I've got great business content. Tell me, what are some of the challenges your association members are facing? So I would just work with whoever it was. I spoke at chambers, at rotaries. I mean, you name it. And I spoke for free everywhere until I got good enough that I deserved to start charging a fee. I love, love. This is, this is such a great analogy for entrepreneurship and speaking. Not, I mean, it's speaking is not an analogy, but it's such a great, a great analogy for exactly what we teach as well, which is, you know, we talk about giving, giving for free, giving for free, blowing people's minds. And I say all the time, the best, what the best source of free advertising on the planet is word of mouth. You know, you blow somebody's mind, they're going to tell someone. Mm -hmm. And I, I love how, you know, a lot of people. So I, so it's interesting because I don't have that fear of public speaking. The minute my heel hits the stage, I feel like I am in a protective bubble and I'm safe from everything. I love it. How, however, I have the fear, and I'm about to make a confession I've never made before, Ooh. but I have the fear of doing the first part, which is going out to people and saying, do you need a speaker? Mm, got it. And, and I didn't really realize it until you just said that, but I was like, isn't that okay. interesting? Yeah. It's fascinating. Everybody's always come to me when I've spoken. Yeah. And for that reason, it's never taken off the way I've wanted it to. And I've always said, oh, I'm too busy or the business is growing. But the truth is I'm afraid to do that first part. So wow. Great confession to me. Yeah. I wonder how many people are relating with you right now who are listening to this 
it's, you know, there's always something that's blocking us. And, you know, whether it's the fear that you have of just, you know, picking up the phone, making the connection, saying, hey, I, I think I could be a great speaker for you. Um, whether it was my fear originally of speaking, which of course I've since gotten over and I love speaking probably yeah. more than anything I do, which yeah. still blows my mind, right? Um, but, you know, some people get in their own way and this is going to sound crazy, but hopefully you'll, you'll get this. Some people are not speaking as much as they should be speaking because they think they're good enough speakers. Absolutely. But they're not. But they're not. Absolutely. And they're not actually practicing every day and honing their stories and, and making the kind of impact because do you know what the single best marketing strategy is for speaking? What's Number that? one marketing strategy. What's that? Have an awesome speech. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because when you get up on stage, you yeah. should have everybody in that audience referring you to someone to get additional bookings. Yeah. So if that's not happening, that's, it's great. It's perfect because it's where you are right now. And it just means, okay, I've got a little more work to do. It, it yeah. takes, it takes time to slow down and work through these stories in a masterful way. And I got to tell you, I still have a long way to go. I mean, even though I've earned the highest designation that the National Speakers Association awards, I don't feel like I'm even close to being my best. I've got so much more work to do. Well, and I think that that highlights uh, such an important point as well, which is the work that goes on behind the scenes, right? It's, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's something that in, in my industry that I'm in, it's not talked, of, talked enough about. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, yes, there are days when things can feel glamorous and fun and you even kind of sometimes occasionally get the opportunity to feel a little bit like a celebrity and then there, but nobody sees all of the blood, sweat and tears that go into that. That's right. But every one-on-one -on -one customer I've ever worked with said, I had no idea how much work it takes to get there. Yeah. And so, and I think that you also talk, we talk about a lot about this with sales, but if nobody's buying, if you're getting on the phone with people and nobody's buying, that's just feedback. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean the product's terrible. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It's feedback. And so you take that and you figure out why they're not buying and maybe it's because you don't know how to sell it and you get better at it. Just like if nobody's booking you or telling it, you got to hire this person after they hear you speak, it's feedback and feedback we can work with. It's the arrow that points us in the right direction. That's right. That's right. And we should always look at that feedback as the biggest gift, right? So that feedback, I think of any prospective client is just a mirror for me to show me whether or not I'm ready for that client. Exactly. I love, I love that. That's fantastic. Heather, we have taken up a lot of your time and I so appreciate your story and how open you are about everything that you did to get here. Uh, if, there, if there was one piece of advice that you could give someone listening who uh, is in a job maybe that they love like you as a lobbyist or perhaps who is done and ready to start something new and scared to death and really doesn't know where to start, what would you say as a boss lady who's done this multiple times in her life, what's the first piece of advice you would give someone? Oh, the first piece. Okay. I'm going to give you the first piece knowing that there's so much more to follow. I know. I know. The, the very first piece is make the decision. Just make the decision because you know, when you make the decision and you draw the line in the sand, it doesn't have to be today. If you don't have the financial stability to be able to walk away today and bootstrap a business or in, you know, borrow enough money to have the right kind of capital to start a business, 
that's okay. You say within two years and you put the date on the calendar and you put that calendar in your wall and you look at it within two years, I will start my business. And then you start reading, watching and listening to every single thing that you can to get yourself on the path for becoming an entrepreneur. And of course it's scary. It, because it's a growth goal and anything that we put out there that has some, some excitement and fear and anxiety, that's the right place. So that's, that's where you should be. Do not let the fear take over. Surround yourself in an environment of success and find those people who will pull you forward and make you, you know, work as hard as you need to work to get there. What a great piece of advice. I, I love that. Decide, you know, it, it reminds me of a we were in Greenville, South Carolina for a very short amount of time. And we knew Greenville was like this perfect black dress in your closet that is beautiful. And you put it on and it's just scratchy and itchy. It just didn't fit us. It would have looked great on a girlfriend. It just wasn't us. And we were back and forth and back and forth about what to do. Do we move back? Do we stay? It's going to be a huge financial loss to, you know, move again, sell another house. And it's how I ended up in this hotel, Heather. Um, and it was the indecision was the worst. Finally, I said to my husband, we have to rip this bandaid off. Like we need to decide and whatever we decide, that's it. Not that you can't change your mind, but this back and forth and do we, should we, can we? And the fear of making the wrong decision is killing me. Yeah. It's killing our family happiness. And so we ripped the bandaid off and said, we're going back to where we're happy. So, and, um, and, 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 you know, we've been in a hotel for nearly two months and we were paying a house payment and a hotel bill and it's not ideal, but it's right. Yeah. And so there's, there's this piece that comes from knowing that it's right. And I also want to thank you for sharing because there's not enough talk about this in our industry that even if you're not financially ready, put the date on the calendar mm -hmm. and start learning, start yes. taking steps. Everybody here thinks that it, I, not every, I thought it had to be super dramatic. I quit my six figure job. I'm going out tomorrow and starting a business. And I wish I had done it a little bit differently. I learned and it's all worked out perfectly, but I would have saved myself a lot of financial stress if I would have put a date on the calendar, perhaps planned for it just a little mm -hmm. bit rather than I'm done. Yeah. You know? And so I love that you gave people an alternative to that. It worked out well for me and, it, it, and it's worked out well for a lot of other people, but to say, you know what, you can also plan for this. You can yeah. say, I'm quitting on this day. I'm saving this much. I'm going to start learning now. So when I'm ready financially, emotionally, whatever, we can hit the ground running. Yes. And Kendrick, you know, as well as I do, and everyone else who started a business who's already up and running is that it's way harder than you think that it is. It, take, <laughs> it takes a lot of time, effort, energy, and money. And, money. and yet it is the single best investment that I think you could ever make, right? Is investing wow. in you. And so don't think that just because you've gone and invested in this business that clients are going to show up. I mean, obviously, Kendrick, that's why you're as successful as you are because you're providing like a light, a path for people to really understand how to develop and grow business. But any small business that you start, first and foremost, you're in sales, you're marketing Absolutely. and you're in sales. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the things we talk about all the time. The actual definition of the word selling is the exchange of money for a product or service. So you can be the best marketer, you can have the best systems, you can be the best public speaker, but if you don't have sales, your business is broke. It's Absolutely. in the definition. So, I mean, it, it, it's an absolute. It doesn't have to be icky, sleazy, slimy, or gross. It doesn't have to make you feel like you want to, you know, women struggle with this uh, stereotypically. It doesn't make it, have to make you feel like you want to crawl in a hole, but if you can't sell, you don't have a business, a for-profit business at all. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Heather, thank you so much for being here and spending time with us on Boss Lady Monday. Tell, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can book you for more speaking, where they can learn about how uh, to refer you to their, to their corporations for coaching. How does everybody find you? Oh, thanks, Kendrick. Well, you can go to heatherchristie.com and I think you might have a link somewhere that uh, yeah, they can Yeah, we'll find. pop that link here in it for, for anyone. Perfect. So yeah, heatherchristie.com. And um, we also have a joint podcast called Evolve to Win. My husband and I decided to uh, do it jointly. I've been doing a podcast solo for about a year before bringing him in. So now it's so much more fun having two it. of us rather than one. Um, so yeah, I, you know, feel free to reach out and connect with me. You can also find me on LinkedIn and, uh, and you know, would, would love to connect if there's any way that I can be of help. I am so pro female entrepreneurs, um, you know, just wish you all the best. And, and look, I know if you haven't made that decision yet, that it's really scary, but let me just say one last thing is that when you, when you actually make that decision, you don't need to know how to do it. That's not, that's not what the decision's about. So don't worry about the how, when you get committed and you get really excited about it, you'll figure out the how, and there are plenty of people who have, who have gone there and done it and just surround yourself by those people and they'll help you get there. What a great piece of advice. Thank you, Heather, for, uh, you know, gracing us with all your wisdom, with your story. It's fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for being a total boss lady here on Boss Lady Monday. Thank you, Kendrick. And thanks for all that you're doing for all of those other boss ladies out there. Absolutely. So happy Boss Lady Monday to everybody watching, listening, or perhaps listening even on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. You can be a boss lady any day of the week. All you have to do is decide. I believe in you. I believe in your business. You can do this. Let's go.